You are listening to the Derek Asante Podcast, the show that brings you insightful conversations about everyday topics. We just aim to keep the discussion above the average. Our guests are the ones bringing the social proof to the conversation. Let's get into it. I'm your host, Derek Asante, and I got another episode for you this week. And I'm excited about this one. Uh, Before we get the show started, please, please continue to share, like, follow, subscribe, Uh, the show on any platform, all the platforms that you might be listening to uh, this episode on. Don't hesitate to share with friends and family. I do appreciate every single share and support. Send some comments my way, whether it's on Facebook, IG, LinkedIn. I post the snippets. Don't hesitate to share and, and, you know, express your thoughts. And if you are listening to the entire episode, on whatever platform you're using, again, you are more than welcome to add some comments, your thoughts, and I'll do my best to make sure I I respond to you uh, in an urgent uh, manner, in a timely manner. All right? Now, this episode is one that really has been on my mind for the last week because I was thinking about it. I actually made the note in my little notepad during the week And uh, I said, you know what, I'm going to talk about this because it was one of those things that really triggered me in a way that it forced me to really think and and make some correlations that I'm going to share with you today. In case you haven't noticed, the title is called Players, Ballers, and Cocaine. Yes, I know. And it's not a clickbait because everything is tied together. So let me get right into it. As a young child of African descent, many of us are raised with a few things in the back of our minds, on our, of our minds. It depends on where you came from. It depends on your environmental exposure, right? So if you're from the hood, ghettos, or impoverished conditions, you are really pushed to get into very limited fields, which is sports and entertainment. And if either of those two don't pan out, guess what? You become one with the streets in some way, shape, or form, right? That's not what this episode is about. But I need to lay that foundation just so we have an understanding of where um, some of these concepts and ideas are going to come from. Right. We have dreams when you're from such conditions. We have dreams and aspirations of becoming one of these things, whether an athlete, uh, an entertainer of some sort. Right. And that's what we aspire to be. It's not that we don't have the capability or the skill set to do other things. We do. However, these things are more appealing and attractive, and it's widely marketed towards us. To the promised land, whether It's for the black athlete, the baller, and the entertainer. That's who these are for, right? The promised land. And that's what it is. So we are constantly being promised all these things. To be an athlete, to be an entertainer, to be a baller, whatever that means. 
and just to be the it in whatever community that you're from, right? The story of coming from rags to riches is one that we've all seen and we've witnessed from either close proximity or from afar. Somebody listening to this knows someone very close to them, whether they went to school with them, family member, uh, a neighbor, uh, you know, a, a really good friend who went from rags to riches, whether they were wildly, you know, recruited as an athlete and they made it to Division One, or they made it to the NBA. You know someone like that, right? And if you don't know them personally, you know them from watching their story, right? So we've seen this. We know what that looks like. We also watched it in movies. We've been entertained by actors and actresses telling the same narrative, rags to riches. We can relate to it. It's a successful method. It's a formula and a formula that works. So if it ain't broke, why fix it or replace it? Keep milking it as long as it produces, right? And we love the rise and we celebrate the fall even harder as fans and tourists. And I say tourists because we are often guests in these individuals' worlds, right? So we go to the arena to watch the athlete. That's his world or her world. And we are just guests. We're visiting for a moment and we leave. Okay. Um, for the entertainer, they are on the stage. We visit the arena, watch them enjoy their experience that they put on for us. And we leave. For the visual artist, we go to the gallery. We see their artwork. We enjoy it. We appreciate it. We gawk at it. Sometimes we even cuss at it. Depends on what kind of art we're, we're appreciating, we're not appreciating. And guess what? We leave. Okay? So we love the rise of someone who came out of nowhere, a small you know, town or a small dot on a map. And somehow they became a global sensation that we are now familiar with, we've been introduced to. And we love that rise. But once that individual gets to that rise and they stay there for a little bit and we get to see them a little too much, sometimes we get tired and bored of them. And so, right, we want to see and celebrate their fall. So we can say, look, they didn't deserve it. Or look, we saw that coming. Or look, and that's when we become, you know, our own little psych psychics, <laughs> right, formerly fans. But the fall is where we celebrate even harder. This is the unfortunate thing, right? We are tourists of every gallery that we are privy to. And this is only because we paid for the show, right? And therefore, we must be entertained, no matter the cost. That's interesting. That is very interesting. Because... Really, the way I look at it is you paid for an entertainment. You didn't pay for the right to disrespect the entertainer. You didn't pay for the right to spew your own ignorance towards the entertainer. You didn't pay for the ability to actually disrupt other people's experiences with this entertainer. Yet, 
somehow we've come to believe that we are entitled and we are privileged enough to do this to the entertainer. That is very interesting. It's very sad, but we're seeing it more and more in today's society across all, all fields and all, you know, forms of art. Not to, you know, bring up any negative press or anything like that towards some of these folks, but a great example was, you know, when that fan or that individual who attacked Dave Chappelle on stage, right? So that's one scenario there, and it's happened a few times prior, but it's something to consider. You know, musicians have always had people that would run onto the stage or throw things at them on stage. You have soccer players, you know, in many European leagues who are also of African descent. They've had banana peels thrown at them, bananas thrown at them. You also have fans running onto the, what they call the pitch, right? Which is the field in, in football. So you have fans running in there. You also have baseball fans throwing beer cans. You have um, basketball fans, you know, um, spewing out vulgar and offensive uh, terms to towards players because they bought court size seats and throwing cans at, at fans, uh, at players, sorry, right? because they feel like they are entitled to do this or they are privileged enough to do this and they deserve um, better from the entertainer. When in fact, they literally bought a ticket to watch the show. And that was it, right? So I didn't mean to go on a tangent with all those examples that I showed, but that's important to recognize that these things do happen. You may not see it, on a regular basis because it's not on your television screen or it's not being broadcasted to you on a regular basis. But they do happen. And they happen too often. So, I want to go back to the player. I want to go back to the entertainer, the ballers, and so forth. Let's break this down a bit. For the players, the only thing promised to them are the superficial promises based on their potential. So, you draft a kid straight out of high school or a one-and-done from college. We're talking about basketball, right? Based on their potential, they go number one. And you promise them all this money and all this stuff, right? The face of the franchise and possibly the face of the NBA or the league and... This is what happens. So let's go back 40, 50 years back, right? Actually, more than that, hundreds of years back. Like when blacks were caged and placed on display for whites to view. This was a thing, right? So all the Europeans were able to travel this was, was uh, the World Gallery, I believe they called it, right? Correct me if I'm wrong with that, but where they would place, you know, indigenous people, African people on display for the Europeans to come. So they created these man-made habitats, temporary habitats where, you know, people would live there with their families on a regular basis, but it was actually a gallery for Europeans to come and observe how they lived. Criticize 
most of all, be entertained by these families living their lives as others walk by and, and stare and look and make their comments and, and you know, everything that they did. And at the end of it, these individuals that were in these cages for display were promised either a meal that was better than what they were given, right? That was not worthy for whites, but necessary for them, whether indigenous or black. So I bring that up because my real thought process here is, is it any different now than it was then? These athletes, entertainers, and ballers are now in this new cage we call arenas. We pay to come and see them entertain us in their costumes. Put on the best show possible. And we make these obscene comments, statements, and gestures as we see fit because we paid for that ticket, that seat, that opportunity, this gallery, this cage that they are in. Every cage comes with rules and guidances. They can't break it because the minute they break it, there are consequences. There's discipline, right? There's repercussions for breaking the rules. This is the part where they should shut up and pose, smile, and jive at all paying customers' requests. That's what we expect as fans, as guests. We want them to shut up and dribble and pose, take a picture, whether I'm with my, you know, significant other or not. Right? The danger in this too is that these same entertainers, when they are out in public, outside of their cage, literally outside of their cage, but mentally, emotionally, psychologically, they are trapped in that cage because they are expected to behave the same way as when they are in the cage. That means they can't say and do what they want because the consequences, the repercussions still follow them, whether they are in costume or not. So let that simmer for a bit. The question I have for you today is, why are Blacks solely compared to other Blacks in every genre with the intent to tear one down? It seems random, but I wanted to set the stage because all these scenarios, all these cages or arenas consist of Black bodies. But the question is still the same. Why are we compared to one another as if only one can remain? It seems there's an entire industry out there, folks, that is founded on this fact, and it's profiting a great deal. But it's, it's characters. The characters that are actually 
generating these profits are not the ones reaping all the benefits. Right? Which is fine because they are not the owners of this business model or the business. Right? But the industry is profiting a great deal. And you might say, well, you know, these athletes are making $100 million, $150, $250 million. That's a great point. And I agree, they are making a boatload of money. Right? They're making a boatload of money. And we're going to get to that in a second. But I want to stay on this topic here about why is it okay for us to compare Michael Jordan and LeBron James or LeBron James and Kobe when he was alive, rest in peace. And, you know, we do all these comparisons. And you look at the music industry, we've compared Biggie and Pac. They're both past. Now we compare Jay-Z and Nas. We compare 50 and whoever, right? We compare groups. Who's the better group? Is it G-Unit or is it, you know, Deluxe? Is it Dipset? Um, and, and the roots are, are we, what are we doing? Right. We keep comparing our black actors, athletes, and entertainers to each other because for some reason we can only have one legend, but let me ask you this. Let me throw this out there for you. There are multiple legendary rock bands. There are multiple legendary rock bands. But as black folks, we are taught to believe there can only be one great. No one says, you know, Led Zeppelin, Rolling Stones, Pink Floyd, The Beatles, ACDC, or Aerosmith are all good. But Metallica is the GOAT. And then start listing you know, all Metallica's accomplishments or any of the other groups that I mentioned's accomplishments. This doesn't happen. This does not happen. Right? You don't compare, you don't hear people comparing Gresky to um, all these other uh, hockey players and legends. We don't do that. In fact, when it comes to basketball, we don't even compare Larry Bird to some of the other greats. We take him out completely as if he doesn't exist. And then we compare, you know, Magic and Jordan or um, Kareem and Jordan and, and, and all these stars, you know, Hakeem to Tim Duncan or David Robinson. And, and we, we keep doing these comparisons when it comes to our black figures, as if we can't have multiple greats, we can't have multiple goats. You've been conditioned to believe that we can't do that. That is a concern. This is something that we need to really think about, right? Because no one says that about the rock groups and the rock rock um, bands and, and the white acts and so forth. Nobody says Al Pacino, is the GOAT, but, you know, uh, De Niro is good. And, or no one compares the two. We just say, you know what? They did a great job in that film. Right? They did a great job in that film. We will criticize Denzel for what he did in the, in the film and say, you know what? 
Uh, Will Smith is good, but he's not as good as Denzel. Why are we doing that? Right? People love these rock bands, all of them. And it's solely because of their differences and the uniqueness that they bring to the stage every single time. The reason why they love these bands is simply because I want to listen to this type of vibe today and I'll go to this group. I want this vibe today, I'm going to go to that group. Why? Because I can benefit from both. But instead, we are conditioning ourselves and our generations following to only pick one. They're only allowed to like and love a Kendrick. They're only allowed allowed to love uh, a Wale, a J. Cole, or a Drake. And this is the problem. This is the problem. That singular approach to everything, right? So let me take you back a bit of a flashback, right? The good old auction blocks. Yes, where slave owners would go to buy the best stock of slaves to work their land. You might think I'm reaching here, but I'm not, right? Just, just follow me here, okay? So think about the the old auction blocks. You go there and you see the big, strong Negro on, on the stage. You know, he's he has a, a rope around his neck. Instead of just having him stand there, they might have his hands tied or whatever. And so he's standing there and, you know, they're offering... Okay, this one's going to be this much and that one's going to be that much. And this is how they worked it. So the owner would say, well, I think this person is valuable at this much. And then it's no different from any auction. It's just human beings this time. The players, the ballers and entertainers that are black are the new slaves on the block. Think about that. They are the new slaves on the block. Now, you might think I'm being harsh, right? You might think that's a little too much that I'm saying that and making that comparison, but it's true. They're on a stage, right? You look at one act and you compare them to the other act and you say, well, you know, mm -mm, that one's a better act, so I'm going to pay them more than this one but either one will never get make, will never make more than their Caucasian counterpart in a lot of the situations. Whether that Caucasian performs the best or the least, it doesn't matter. The value is already set. Everyone wants the best of the best, but they're not willing to pay top dollar for it. Not in every scenario, right? More importantly, blacks have been taught to believe, you know, the value that others, I guess, project of them than their own, right? So I'm going to believe someone's opinion of me before I believe my own opinion of myself. This is the mentality that we've been conditioned to believe. I won't follow my own intuition because, you know what, white is right. And, and by the way, somebody listening to this might be a little bit ignorant and think I'm talking about white people compared to black people. No, I'm talking about black people in our mentality towards our own. So don't get it, you know, misconstrued about it. 
I'm not talking about white people. I'm talking about the systemic influences and, and manipulations that we endure without even knowing that we're going through it sometimes. Right? Because we never understood our value in any market. Why? Because we never said it. Someone else set our value since the beginning of our existence here in the West. Okay, so our value has always been set, preset by someone else. So we never understood our value. So when you see an athlete taking this money and you're judging them, you need to check history before you start doing that. You need to have a clear understanding of where this stems from. They come from nothing. So anything they get, they're going to take. That's all they know is I may not get this opportunity again, so I'm going to take it while I can. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm with you on that. Get your bag and do what you need to do. Because sometimes we're happy just to be wanted. And that is also a trap. We can't win. I know. I know. We can't win. I just said take the bag. And then now I'm saying, you know what? We can't just settle for the bag. <sighs> I'm conflicted. I know. I know. But this is the beauty in, the, in, in this episode is that you get to share your thoughts. I get to share mine. And I'd love to hear your thoughts because it is hard for me to think about it and, and actually process it. I'm saying get the bag, but I'm also saying, listen, don't just accept any bag. At the end of the day, if I'm in your shoes, I'm taking the bag. Right? But the fact still remains. Sometimes we are simply happy just to be wanted. And that's a human thing. It's not just a black thing. Right? But my other thing is this. Why we can't come to terms with the concept of having multiple blacks who are all great, very similar to these rock legends. So let's bring it back. This is a full circle moment here when I said the title of the episode, right? It's an interesting one, I know, right? The fact that I called it players, ballers, and cocaine. You're probably wondering why. Well, there are players in every game who are purists, right? They truly love what they do every fiber of their being. Like they are dedicated to the craft. They do everything that they're supposed to do and they do it right. They stick to the rules. They play within the rules. And this is who they are. Like we just love them because we look at them and we say, you know what? I remember when I was 10, 12, I had the same energy. And, and it's surprising to see that this individual has it now as an adult or as a professional. And it's refreshing to see that as someone you know, still practices sometimes the same way they used to, you know, and, and, and to me as a fan, I look at that and I say, you know what? I respect that guy because, or that woman, because they aren't changing with the times or to fit into the times they're sticking to who they are and they love the game. They respect the game. They treat the game with all the passion and, and, you know, dignity that we, we should in, in anything that we do. And again, these are the ones that we love. These are the players. They just love to play the game. 
They don't get involved with the business, the politics. They don't do any of that. They just show up and hoop, right? Show up and do their thing and you love them for it because you're like, man, that person is talented, right? Then we have the ballers. And these ballers, they work hard, but not as hard as the players, right? Because they got skills and they got talent. So they didn't have to work as hard because they already have the talent. But what they love the most is the fame and the attention, as well as the perks that come with that territory, right? And those are the ballers. A little bit flashier, right? Not so much respect for the game. They love the game, but the respect, yeah, they're about the money, right? And those are the ones that we envy. We truly do. We may not say it, but we envy them. And and, and in our quiet moments, we're patiently, I mean, patiently waiting for them to fall. Right? Because they rise to the top real quick. They rise real quick to the top and they stay there for a while because of their talent and the flair and the attention that they're getting. You know, everybody wins off of them, right? Companies benefit because they're, they're edgy, they're flashy, they're controversial. And we love that. And that sells. So to keep them around a little bit longer than the players, the players are boring. They're purists, right? They're a bit dull, right? But we need something that sells, and that's where the ballers come in. So we feed off of the ballers, but we as fans, we're often patiently waiting for their fall. And that's the ballers. And then finally, we have the cocaine. Cocaine is a metaphor, okay? But it's the high of all highs. It's the riches, it's the money, it's the access. It's all those things that the ballers have dreamt of. The players want some of it, but they don't want the fame. But the ballers want both and the money. Guess what? Cocaine is the version experience of, you know, when we say I've never, you know, been here before, but I love it and I don't want it to end. I've never been to one of these parties, you know, Hollywood parties or anything like that. I'm not a party person, but I'm sure somebody's gone to a party and, you know, tried a new drug, whether it's X or gone to a club and, and tried something that somebody slipped them or a drink or a new mix or whatever it was. But if you're that type that's, you know, ever experienced that, don't hesitate if you're comfortable enough to share it with me. I appreciate that. Uh, you can, you know, maybe educate me on, on that side of things. But, you know, that's the version experience, doing something for the first time and getting that rush, that addiction, that, oh my gosh, had I known this is how I was going to feel, I would have tried this way sooner. You know, um, and we don't usually want that experience to end if it's a great one. But it does. It always ends. The party has to end at some point. And that's that cocaine high. Right? I call that the crash. And, and it's often the crash that no one forgets. No one forgets. Especially if you're a baller. They want to remind you that you crashed. 
you're a player, they won't forget. But they'll say, you know what? It was a shame. There's a bit of empathy there. That's always interesting. Right? So what a lot of people don't realize with the cocaine is that the promise from the beginning was and always has been to get you the player, the baller, and the entertainer some cocaine because you've never had it before. Right? There's money to be made every time you crash and you've never had it before. So when they came and promised you as a young lad the dream of becoming a professional NBA player or an actor, an actress, a football player, or anything, an MC, whatever it was that they promised you that you're going to be successful and sell this many records and, and, you know, sell this many tickets and so forth, get a shoe deal, whatever it is that they promise you. That's the smoke and mirrors. The truth of the matter is they're actually promising you the cocaine. You just didn't know it yet. And by the time you realize it, you're already high. Sometimes you're heading for the crash. Okay? So, something to consider. You need to really keep that in the back of your mind. Now, because there's money to be made, these acts start to believe that they're extremely valuable when they meet the cocaine. Right? Right now, the hottest topic is Kevin Durant. Okay? Everybody's talking about Kevin Durant and where he's going to end up because he asked for a trade from the Brooklyn Nets. And he has four years left on a contract, and I believe he's 34 years old. So, a third four-year-old athlete in basketball, by the way, is considered old and, you know, uh, past their prime or just at the tail end of their prime. So thinking about that, everybody's kind of, you know, uh, making a big deal about it where he's going to land. But this is where people start to believe they're extremely valuable. But in fact, they're near the end of that value. Right? It's the start of their ending. So when I think about Kevin Durant, this comes to mind. He believes he's at the peak and he's valuable. He's worth this. But after the four years when he's been paid out his max, the conversation is going to be different because he'll be 38. And the ceiling has come and gone. He's already hit it. So what's his value going to be at that point? We also know that he's no LeBron James as far as his health goes and, and you know, staying as fit as LeBron has been able to do for 20 seasons. So all these things come into question. But let's take this back to the auction block, right? The best were sold for more. The best crops were always sold for more and the rest for less. We understand that. So players, ballers, and entertainers get their max in their primes. No different from MVPs or all-stars, you know, someone winning a Grammy or being nominated for Grammys an Oscar, whatever it is. The minute these individuals achieve these accolades, 
they're essentially in their prime or, you know, that's where they're getting their max. That's when they can negotiate. But after that, you know, curtain closes, once the master no longer sees your value, don't forget, you are the new slave. So if your master no longer sees value in you come free agency, also known back then on the chopping block, on the, on the auction block, as a free man, so you put in your time, however many years on that land that you worked, the promise at the end is you will become a free man. Right? A free slave. Okay? You will be released. You'll be let go to test your market as an agent, a free agent. So you can go out there and see which company is willing to, you know, invest in you, which, which team wants to pick you up and pay you top dollar for what you're worth or what you believe you're worth. And who knows, you might actually get to work on a new farm. <laughs> you just might be lucky enough to land yourself in a new farm, right? And once again, you could put on a show for the people to be entertained. So there are players, there are ballers, and there's always going to be some cocaine. My question to wrap this episode up with is, what are you doing it for if it's not for ownership? What are you doing it for if it's not to get off the plantation? What are you doing it for if it's not to own the plantation and convert it into an open space where all are welcome and free to play and or be entertained? Until next episode. Love, peace, and happiness.